As many of you already know, before being ordained, I worked on various college campus, campuses in a number of roles, and I worked with all kinds of students over those years, freshman undergrads and MBAs, athletes and musicians, first-gen students and RAs. And each group of students came with its own joys and also, of course, its own challenges. But over the years, there was one group that I found particularly challenging to work with. And it's probably not a group that you would think of right away. It wasn't the hardcore partiers. It wasn't the students on academic probation or my work-study employees. No, it was the debate club students. <laughs> it was those students who for years had spent their time honing the art of argumentation and mastering the flares of rhetoric. Students who were well-spoken, intelligent, students who should have been some of the most interesting to engage with. But more often than not, I found interacting with them maddening. It always felt like no matter the issue at hand, a conduct case, an academic advising session, something as banal as a mid-semester check-in, how are you doing, it didn't matter. It was always zero-sum. Every conversation had a winner and loser, and by God, they were not going to be that loser. <laughs> they always found the way to skirt the issue to find an angle to lob a loaded question at me, to eschew even the gentlest constructive criticism. I found it exhausting, but also a bit sad. All that talent, all that potential, all that intelligent, intelligence spent on nothing more than avoiding the real issue at hand. In our gospel reading, we see the Pharisees employing strategies that would have been very familiar to my debate club students. They team up with the Herodians, a different religious and political sect with which they have very little in common other than a common opposition to Jesus' ministry. And they challenge Jesus with a question about the lawfulness of the Roman tax. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, they don't actually care about Jesus' opinion on imperial taxation. This is a trick question with, they think, no good answer. They figure if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then he will lose face among his Jewish followers, many of whom oppose the emperor. And if Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, then he risks punishment and arrest by the Roman authorities. Either way, figure the Pharisees, we win. Seeing this rhetorical trap, Jesus simply asks for the coin used to pay the tax and pointing out the emperor's name and title inscribed there answers them, give to the emperor the things that are his and give to God what is God's. And this pretty much ends the conversation. As always, when we encounter the Pharisees in Scripture, we should assume that we are guilty of the same hypocrisy as they are. Given the current state of our world and our country, I don't think that this is much of a stretch. We flip on the news or scan our social media feeds, and it's all Pharisees and Herodians debate club kids using all their tricks to entrap their opponent, not giving an inch to anyone on the other side. And we and I are all too quick to follow their lead. I find that more often than not when I leave contemporary political debates, I'm left with the same sort of melancholy that I was left with after talking with my debate club students because there are real conversations to be had, real, pressing, complicated matters that need our attention. Whether it's how our country should respond to two ongoing wars, or what kind of leadership 
should oversee our chambers of government, or local questions for our community, questions like how best to respond to the housing needs of our town. But instead of putting our energy and time towards the issues at hand, instead of seeing those with differing opinions not as our enemies, but as partners in the eventual solution, we, like the Pharisees, fall back on our tricks. One trick that I realize I've been falling back on these last few weeks has been when I've been reading statements that have come out from various individuals or institutions giving their opinion on the war in the Holy Land, and I realize I'm not actually reading these statements. I'm just sort of scanning them for key words, key words that will then allow me to pigeonhole those people in one category or the other. Oh, you're on this side, or you're on that side, or I agree with you, or I don't. And then I can dismiss them, particularly if I don't like what they're saying. I have failed to see those statements for what they really are, which are windows into the world of those who are suffering, as invitations, as vectors by which the living God might just break into my life. Jesus' outstretched finger pointing out the curves of that Roman coin is a wake-up call to me and I hope to all of us, calling us back to that great commandment, a great commandment that we will hear in next Sunday's gospel, love your neighbor as yourself. It's worth lingering just a bit more, if you don't mind, on that silver coin in the center of today's gospel. As our text points out, this coin, a denarius, included the image of the emperor and his title, part of which was Divi Filius Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, making this coin doubly blasphemous from the Jewish perspective, first for including a graven image, and second for the claim that Caesar was divine. And yet when Jesus asks for one of these coins, it's one of the Pharisee accusers, the very people who think of themselves as so pure, as so devout, who happens to have one of these blasphemous coins in his pocket. In this way, the coin's very features heighten the sense of the Pharisees' hypocrisies. But there's something even deeper going on here. The Greek word that is being translated in our passage as head, when Jesus asks whose head is this, is the Greek word ikon, icon, an image, a likeness. This word is full of resonances in Jewish and Christian theology, and it recalls Genesis chapter 1, when God creates humans in his own likeness, as an ikon of himself. At the deepest level, as Jesus points towards this coin, he is in a way asking all of us, whose image are you reflecting? Of whom are you an icon? Some have interpreted Jesus' words in this passage, this very famous, give unto Caesars that which is Caesars and give to God what is God, as some sort of doctrine for a divided world, as Jesus' way of saying, yes, you can divide the sacred from the profane. You can divide God's realm from a critical government. But when we look closely, when we consider the question of icon, I think Jesus is ultimately saying the exact opposite. We always belong to God. We are always operating in God's realm, even when we interact in contexts like government or taxation that seem to have nothing to do with God. Or to put it another way, when we take a step back, when we actually consider, okay, I'm supposed to give to God what is God, what, what belongs to God? The answer is easy. Everything. 
everything. In the week to come, each of us will find ourselves toggling between various contexts, work and home, school and recreation, chores and resting, perhaps also civic engagements, reading the news, calling our reps, early voting, conversing with those with whom we disagree. And though these contexts may change hour to hour, day by day, may we never lose sight of what never changes, who and whose we are. May God grant us the grace to always be icons of him. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.